Well, good afternoon, everyone. Happy Sabbath. I just want to introduce a new segment that we're um, starting this week. And um, in the subsequent weeks, uh, you'll periodically get a message from me just asking for a quick interview as um, I'm really trying to have, uh, I guess, let the broader church community become more familiar with um, different individuals in our church. And so uh, what I've done is I've actually interviewed Shendon, and I just want to say thank you to Shendon for taking time out of his busy schedule for this first interview. Um, the sermon for this, uh, this Sabbath is about dealing with burnout, and so I, I asked him questions about what it's like to work in a corporate setting and to implement spiritual um, faith-based principles for dealing with burnout. And so this interview that I have with Shendon is, is based off of those questions. And so enjoy, and also um, feel free, Shendon, I actually didn't say I was going to do this, but feel free to talk to Shendon afterwards and ask him questions about the interview. And uh, if there's something where you just want to dig a little bit deeper, go, go talk to Shendon and say, hey, just wanted to chat with you about this. But anyway, enjoy the interview. Well, hey, Shendon, so much for taking time uh, for this interview. I know you have a lot on, and so just really appreciate you taking this time to um, just go through this, go through these, these questions. No, my pleasure. My pleasure, Roy. Um, yeah, so the sermon for the Sabbath is really about dealing with burnout. And, you know, I know that you're a CEO of a fintech company, and you've really faced your fair share of difficult circumstances and difficult people. And I just thought it'd be great to get your perspective on how you process, um, I guess, those moments where you feel pressure and anxiety and, and how you process uh, those moments where you feel burnt out. Um, now, in previous conversations, I know uh, you've kind of talked about um, moments where you power down and you've got like this evening routine. And uh, I know there are times where I've sent you text messages and you, your response has been, Roy, just, just winding down for the day. Um, are you free to chat tomorrow? And I just thought it's great to have that routine. And I just wondered if you'd be happy to share a little bit about that. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I'm glad to. Um, it's, it's good that you can block out some time for yourself and, and just wind down and, and just switch off because we're so connected. And, I mean, I suppose working and uh and if you have to travel for work and you're you're working with different time zones you can be always switched on and if you don't have to be you don't really need to be connected to um devices and and um people through uh all the different platforms uh continuously unless you really have to so my approach now is to try to so try to is the key <laughs> uh, I, I i'm it's not 100% because sometimes I do have late night core conferences. We've got staff around the world now. So, and we've got meetings, uh, right up to the UK sort of time zone. So we just try to, uh, do the following things and, uh, to, to block out some time. So for me, I found, um, uh, powering down means getting home and making dinner for the family. And I think there's something about just, um, starting to unwind and, and make dinner for the family and sitting down and having dinner together and just finding out, um, Andrew's my son. So, you know, finding out about his, his day in grade four, uh, well, grade five actually now. So grade five. Um, so finding out about his day and, um, you know, what's been happening with Naomi as well, uh, how, how her day's been. So over dinner, just, just, just that's a special time. And then after dinner, I, tend to do dishes as well but but i like to stretch out on a mat and uh, my cat tries to fight me with the, for the cat the mat <laughs> so um some stretching exercises and then 
you know, really just w- watching some shows maybe that I, I enjoy watching and, and just really turn, turn the phone on silent, um, really start, you know, try and trying not to do, you know, a number of things like working late at night, um, checking the phone. I mentioned that. Um, but getting to sleep at a regular time and waking up at a regular time, I think that's been really helpful now. Um, as compared to my crazy, crazy travel itinerary days. Uh, yeah. So Naomi revealed this secret about you in a conversation where she says you actually uh, do a bit of artwork, like where you paint. Um, and I don't know if very many people or if anybody at church knows that. And I was wondering if you'd be able to share a little bit about that. Well, it's not a secret anymore if Naomi's shared <laughs> <laughs> Probably a lot. Sorry, of things, Naomi. But, yeah, yeah. Well, in actual fact, uh, you know, th- there was there was a period of time, I suppose, that I was making jewelry. Uh, people, uh, probably not something that you know you associate with Seventh Day Adventists. <laughs> anyway, uh, I was making couplings and I was sending it out to to different relatives. Uh, 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 you know, my handmade couplings. Uh, you know, and. So just, I love using my hands. So I was, um, I, I've got a paint set, but yeah, no, not not lately. Though <laughs> it hasn't been, yeah. hasn't been lately. Yeah. No, that's very cool. Very very cool. Um, so uh, one of the main points of this sermon um, is is really what it means to make God's work your work. And Shandon, as I've gotten to know you over the years. Um, I've I've really appreciated how you've centered your life around God and how you've incorporated scripture into your life and how you run your business. And I, I just wanted to ask you, how does your faith inform how you process um, results and success and also like the pressures and anxieties that are associated with work? Yeah. Oh, it's a very good question. And I'm, I'm still learning a lot about that. Um, I, I suppose, uh, let me, um, let me go back to, I suppose, the uh, a journey w- that God's been part of my life since school, you know, high school, BCE, uni, getting my first job, being at my, you know, my first um, first job and my first uh, projects and clients, right to today, you know, fast forward 25 years now, uh, running a, a tech company, um and um, I think it's something that has built up over time, my journey, uh, learning in the workplace and, and walking with God and having God in my life. Uh, so I'm still learning. I'm still learning a lot. But it helps me to having God and having faith that God will take care of things and help me um, with wisdom and, and making decisions. Um, really alleviate a lot of things and and enable me to um, do much more and and be I suppose not incapacitated in a way or uh, or sparring down into uh, a anxiety attack or, or um, burnout. So I've had those before, by the way. So I've had incidences where um, things have gone really wrong or or you know in a very stressful environment where I haven't been able to. Um, uh, just cope. Um, so uh, I've had to use uh, some techniques to to get out of that. But in general, I think day day by day and and week by week, um, having God in my life has really helped 
in um, in the in managing work and in terms of results, I, I know we're accountable for the results that we and targets that we uh, uh, have been given and we're responsible for. But in for me, the results are really for God to deter- determine in a way because whether it's success or failure, we can't take pride in um, the successes uh, because it's God that actually enables that success. Um, obviously, running a secular company, uh, it's hard to express some of those things, um, but it is uh, important to understand that in my it, who I am is I believe in God and I believe that the outcomes are uh, derived um, because God makes it happen. Uh, what we are responsible for is the process. So we are to be good stewards of the resources that are that have been given to us. Whether we are responsible for a team, whether we're responsible for a company, uh, we have to be good uh, stewards of those resources and resources in the right way. Um, we have to work with integrity. So that's part of that process so that people can see us working with integrity. And a company with integrity is around is really about people, the people in the company with integrity and acting from top down. Uh, the board has integrity. The shareholders have faith in the board because uh, and the management team because they have integrity and the staff have integrity as well. So they're some of the key things that drive the process which then the result, I believe, is up to God. But um, in the secular world, we take responsibility for the results and we are accountable for the results. But for my faith, I know that God determines that result and I can't boast about um, successes, nor when it's failure, I have to reflect and, and go and, and think about how, how what God has really wanted as part of the, the outcome itself. Um, I hope that makes sense. Yeah. yeah no, definitely. Um, what's been, what's been most helpful for you in terms of recovery? Like, um, what have you found to be useful in terms of, uh, just giving you that, that ability to ability to be resilient? Yeah. Um, I think there, I, I was reflecting on, uh, I suppose the, the time that I've had, um, quite stressful, um, and difficult um, sort of situations. Um, the thing that really helped me the most was actually uh, hymns, um, and probably you, uh, it might be something that you might not uh, might not come to you uh, uh, immediately. But uh, being listening to hymns uh, and singing hymns uh, actually helped me uh, to get out of. Uh, uh, situations uh, where I've I've been um, uh, tied up in, in a particular event. So that that's really been one of the things that I, I look back and I go, what's really helped me? And I, I think yeah, hymns would would be one of the uh, key things. And 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 certainly walking and talking with God. Um, nature is the other element. Um, being able to go into nature, or or whether it's being able to face the ocean or, or be in a forest, I think God's voice is clearest in, in nature. Mm. Um, so I think those two things I would say for me, um, have helped others would, would spend a lot more time in prayer. Uh, others would search the scriptures. 
and talk to other people like their pastor or, or friends. Um, but for me, I think uh, listening to hymns uh, and uh, singing, <laughs> as well as uh, being in nature, have really helped. And obviously, uh, a, a wonderful supporting wife has, has helped me through. And I remember um, two occasions that she helped me with uh, singing some of those hymns. Well, that's fantastic. Yeah. Thanks so much for sharing, Shendon. Appreciate your time. No worries. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad. I'm looking forward to your sermon. <laughs> me too. <laughs> Shendon, for your time. So today's topic is dealing with burnout, dealing with burnout. And I'm just going to invite you to join me for one more word of prayer before we begin. Father God, um, we just want to thank you for the Sabbath, for this time where we can unplug and rest and connect with you. And I just want to ask that your presence would be here, that you would speak to our hearts. And um, Father, you, you know what individuals are going through in this room. You know the stresses of work. You know the stresses of life. And I just pray that your word would speak um, to their hearts. We pray this in your name. Amen. So there's some new released research um, presented by the Australian National University. Um, And this research showed that the stricter lockdowns in response to COVID-19 led to higher loss in life satisfaction and worse mental health and well-being outcomes. So the co-author, Associate Professor Ben Edwards, said, there is no doubt lockdowns were essential to helping stop spread uh, the spread of COVID-19 and limit case numbers and potential deaths. These measures were designed to keep Australians safe, and they did. However, our findings also show that measures designed to help protect people from COVID-19 also have a clear impact on mental health and well-being. The the research here showed a correlation between the strictness of lockdown and the quality of life. Uh, The lockdown policies were measured by the Oxford Stringency Index. Did you know that there's a standardized measurement for lockdowns? Can you guess which Australian city scored the highest? Melbourne. (laughs) Melbourne recorded the strictest lockdown score of 94.44 from a scale of zero to 100 in August of 2021. So Melbourne had prolonged lockdowns over a span of two years, which you are very familiar. And the question was, what implications did that have for our mental health and our satisfaction of life? Now, interestingly, the research was able also to show, it was able to drill down in the specifics of how different people in different demographics responded to the pandemic. And what I found interesting is that the reason for stresses were different from men to women. So, for example, and this is a very general statement, um, but I think they just kind of asked in the survey different questions and then asked the gender. But here are the categories. For men, it was the lockdowns that lowered the quality of life. But for women, it was the increased number of community transmi- uh, transmission that lowered down the quality of life. It was the thought of, oh, no, I might get COVID or my family members or my children might get COVID. Now, I know it's 2023 and lockdowns uh, finished at the beginning of last year. But the reality is that uh, the effects of lockdown have lingered. And I just want to highlight the most livable cities lists from 2019 to 2022. If you look at 2019, Melbourne is number two on the list. 
And now that there are some people from Sydney that are here, I feel, feel hesitant, hesitant to point out, uh, point out the ranking, but I, I've just, I just did. Anyway, <laughs> in 2021, when we were at the peak of our lockdown, the quality of life dropped significantly. And in Melbourne, during the lockdown, that livability number drops from number two to number nine. Then you move on to 2022. Lockdown is over. We actually had freedom come January. But if you look, the quality of life drops even in 2022, and we moved from number nine to number 10. And I don't know if you felt this, but you know, even in freedom, 2022 was really challenging. And in a lot of ways, it was more challenging than 2021. And I think the, the, this rating kind of um, um, reflects that. And it's interesting, uh, if, if you've read any articles on how they rate the most livable city, it's based on objective and subjective matter. And so basically, they're just like, how did you feel? And uh, that, that reflects that. So I just want to highlight, even though lockdowns were over, a year after the strictest lockdowns in Australia, the quality of life here in Melbourne went down rather than up. And it's not till 2020, uh, 2023 where the quality of life improves. And the latest list shows Melbourne at number three again. So 2020 to 2022 were three difficult years, and we're now at the place where we can process what happened and come to terms with burnout, anxiety, and whatever difficulty presented itself during the pandemic. There's a story in the Bible where Israel went through three years of difficulty, and the story specifically follows um, a prophet by the name of Elijah, and I think his story gives us insights into how we can process burnout and anxiety in our lives. We're going to start in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 1. The story begins by stating that there was this drought for three years. Imagine three years of drought in a nation that's primarily agricultural. So no water. In other words, food. there's food shortage, there's crop shortage, there's animal shortage. Israel was doing it tough. So God speaks to Elijah the prophet, and he tells him, Go speak to King Ahab, the worst king in the history of Israel. And go tell him about all the things that he's done wrong. Now, if you picture Elijah, Elijah is this simple prophet of God. He doesn't have an entourage. He doesn't have an army. He doesn't have like a he doesn't have a group of mercenaries that can protect him from the king. He has to go to the most powerful individual and rebuke the king. In the next scene, we read about Elijah's meeting with Ahab. And Elijah tells Ahab, you have forsaken God's commandments and worshipped Baal. Now, the irony of this story is that Baal is a rain god, and he's supposed to control the rain, but Israel has been in drought for three years. See, God sees Ahab and his wife Jezebel influencing the whole nation of Israel to worship this deity, and as a response, God shows his sovereignty by giving a drought. There are moments when we as humanity, we try to replace God with innovation, with technology, with policy, and the reality is when all comes to naught, we are left to submit to the sovereignty of God. It's an uncomfortable place to be, helpless, but it's in these moments where we get to know what's on God's heart. So in this meeting with Ahab, Elijah gives a challenge, or Elijah gives a challenge to Ahab, Jezebel, and all the prophets of Baal. And in this story, Elijah throws down the gauntlet and he says to Ahab, meet me on Mount Carmel with all of the prophets of Baal and let's put our gods to the test. 
bring the people of Israel, bring the prophets, and we're going to build two altars, one for your God and one for my God. And whichever God answers by fire, that is the true God. Everyone who's present at the meeting listens to the suggestion and agrees, this is a good idea, and the prophets of Baal go first. And if you read through the text, you get a picture of what Baal worship looked like. It says that they called on Baal from morning until noon, and the text says they're jumping and dancing around the altar, hoping that somebody would answer. And as afternoon rolls around, Elijah begins to heckle them. Hey, why don't you call out louder? Maybe Baal's away on a trip, or maybe he's sleeping. (laughs) And as you continue on in the story, the day progresses, and the prophets of Baal, they begin cutting themselves. And these poor prophets, instead of finding a solution, they end up hurting themselves, and they're worse off than when they started. So next, it's Elijah's turn, and you'll find there's such a stark contrast between how Elijah responds to God or interacts with God and how the prophets of Baal respond to God. First, Elijah builds this altar with 12 stones, one stone representing each tribe of Israel. Then he digs around the altar, and he has water poured over the altar three times. Now, this is kind of counterintuitive, because if you want somebody to answer by fire, generally you don't want to pour water on the thing that you want to light on fire. But this is what he does. Now, in this story, usually the fire is what's emphasized, and with good reason. Like, can you imagine fire coming down out of heaven? Somebody prays, God, can you please send fire? And then, like... That would be very impressive. And that certainly is a highlight of the story. But the miracle isn't the only reason why the whole nation repents. And I guess I've just given the spoiler uh, spoiler uh, alert for those of you who um, are still reading through the, the passage. But God answers Elijah's prayer. Fire comes down out of heaven. But what I want to highlight here is in verse 36. In verse 36, Elijah begins his prayer at the time of the evening sacrifice. And if you look at verse 37, Elijah says, Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back again. And my question is, how would God turn the hearts of Israel? See, the timing of the sacrifice is significant. When Israel first became a a nation, every morning and every evening, a priest of the temple would go and offer this sacrifice on behalf of the nation. This sacrifice was a reminder to everyone of God's constant mercy. Basically, when fire came down from heaven, God was communicating, or excuse me, this sacrifice communicated, no matter the time of the day, no matter the circumstance, there is mercy for you. So keep in mind, It had been three years where Israel were worshiping idols. Now, I haven't gone into the details, but if you're curious, you can Google Baal or Baal worship. And when you become familiar with some of the practices of Baal worship, it's, it's really, it's, it's, it really messes up the community. It messes up Israel as a nation. So you can imagine, here's Israel spending three years living in guilt, three years living in drought. No rain, the economy suffered, the quality of life was poor. Mental health wasn't just an issue, health was an issue, right? Their lives were at stake. So how do they respond during that three-year period? They turn to Baal. 
And the reality is they were just doing what they needed to do to get by. But when they see fire come down from heaven, God is physically manifesting his communication of Israel, there is mercy still for you. So if you look at verse 39, it says, When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. You know, we have lived through three years of difficulty. Three years of anxiety, three years of challenges. And if you can relate to Israel today, I encourage you to do, I encourage you to do what Elijah did. Build an altar. Take out consistent time and be reminded of God's mercy. God gives us as humanity Jesus. And I think sometimes guilt can turn us away from God. But the reality is nothing that you have done can undo what Jesus has already done. The story of Elijah continues. God sends rain after the showdown at Mount Carmel. And here in this story, Jezebel hears about what happened at Mount Carmel She hears about the execution of her prophets, and she sends this threat to Elijah. And she says, tomorrow, you're going to die. And what's interesting here is Jezebel sends a messenger rather than an assassin. It's like, if you want to take somebody out, why would you give them warning? Just take them out, right? It's it's, it's almost like she wants Elijah to run away because she knows I lost on Mount Carmel, and Elijah has influence And the thing that she gains from the most is not from Elijah dying and becoming a martyr, but she gains more from a much-needed leader running away. And so she goes to Elijah, and she threatens him. It works, and he flees for his life. When you continue on in verses 4 and 5, if you think about the story, we kind of get snapshots. In 1 Kings 18... Elijah has this incredible victory, and all of Israel repents. And in the very next chapter, in the first few verses, Elijah runs away. And it's kind of like, Elijah, what's going on here? You, you were a man of courage, and now you're kind of like, you're afraid for your life. But the reality is, Elijah had spent three years watching Israel turn away from God. He had spent three years hiding and running for his life, hoping, God, please create a change. And as Elijah saw what happened on Mount Carmel, it would have sprung up hope in his heart. Like, finally, the people have repented. Finally, Ahab and Jezebel have lost their influence. But in that moment where he's hoping for change, he receives this death threat, and he's like, I'm going to die. So instead, his life again is endangered, and he runs I really like this passage because I feel like what Elijah goes through gives this neat little outline of how we too can face the moments of burnout and anxiety when we have faced prolonged stress from the work that we've been called to do. Elijah starts by praying an honest prayer, and he just says, God, I just want to die. I'm no better than those who came before me. Elijah is burnt out. He's ready to throw in the towel. Um, there's a burnout definition that's, uh, that, that's been released by um, the World Health Organization. And thank you, Shannon, for the, uh, the, ref- the, the direction here. But the World Health Organization says burnout is a syndrome conceptualized as resulting from chronic workplace stress 
that has not been successfully managed. It is characterized by three dimensions, feelings of energy depletion or exhaustion, increased mental distance from one's job or feelings of negativism or cynicism related to one's job, and reduced professional efficacy. Elijah feels burnt out, and after his prayer, he does something really important. He sleeps. There's something so incredible about rest. Vance Havner says, if you don't come apart to rest, you will come apart. Lynn Babb, Lynn Babb writes, only in stopping, really stopping, do we teach our hearts and souls that we are loved apart from what we do. We have value because we are God's creation. You know, there are these statements about rest, the act of ceasing that are so valuable. And I think that's why the Sabbath is such an important part of our uh, weekly rhythms and our weekly spiritual practices. Henry Nguyen, he observes three lies that are embedded within humanity. And I believe these lies really are at the root of why we burn out and why we feel anxiety and stress. Henry Nguyen uh, observes these three things. I am what I have. I am what other people think of me. I am what I do. And if you think about the Sabbath, it's specifically designed to subvert these three powerful lies that, uh, that, that hold transformational truths within the Sabbath. And these three ideas are to trust in the provision of our Creator, to build our identity as children of God, and to learn to experience work as service. See, work has a tendency to feel like work. We're pressured by outcomes. We're driven by power, position, and legacy. If we success, if we experience success at work, we have to battle. Uh, we have to battle the power of pride and the temptations of entitlement. If we fail at work, we face the repercussions of our failures. We have to face shame and the feelings of inferi- inferiority. And the Sabbath can provide a paradigm shift in the way we work. Uh, Marjorie Thompson, she talks about secular rhythms and spiritual rhythms. And in reference to um, secular rhythms, she says, our normal habit is to work, work, and work, which leads to vacation. But the difference between the secular rhythm and the spiritual rhythm is that we are to rest, 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 which then clarifies our vocation. See, this is the type of rest that requires a recalibration to pray through your stresses and to ask the question, God, what do you want me to do this week? I really like this passage in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29, because Jesus highlights this secret embedded in this concept of rest. And here in the text, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So here's the secret. When it comes to finding rest, it's found in making God's work your work. The secret to rest is found in making God's work your work. You know, so often we make our work God's work. Please, God, bless this work that I have. Bless this project. Bless, bless these efforts. And we're taking what we want, presenting it to God, and asking him, please do something with this. But what I'm suggesting is to 
put God in the driver's seat and to ask God, God, what is your will? Teach me to make your will my work. When God is in the driver's seat, it leaves the results of what we do to God. Back to the story of Elijah. The story continues on. An angel wakes Elijah up from his sleep, from his rest, and he provides him nourishment. And after, Elijah takes a journey to Mount Horeb where he speaks to God. And here's the conversation that Elijah has with God. God commands Elijah, go stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord and he will pass by you. And there's some super, well, I should say, natural events that happen in a super way where the wind rushes through the mountain. There's an earthquake and there's, there's fire. And in each of these natural events that happen in a super way, God is not present in the expressions of power. But rather, if you look at verse 12, it says, And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And this is often referred to as a still, small voice or the silence of God. Well, I shouldn't say silence. It was a whisper, right? And when Elijah hears it, he pulls his cloak over his face and he goes out and he stands at the mouth of the cave. And the conversation begins or continues, I should say. God asks Elijah, God, uh, Elijah, what are you doing here? And that question is so important when it comes to Elijah processing where he's at. Because God wants Elijah to think about why he's in the place that he's in. God wants to journey with Elijah through his anxiety, through his stress, and through his burnout. And it's in the still, small voice that God speaks. There's this quote in the Ministry of Healing, and I'm going to read it in its entirety. Okay, the, the font is fairly large. I encourage you to read through it as I read through it as well, and I'm, I'm going to actually read through the whole thing. In Ministry of Healing, the quote goes like this. All who are under the training of God need the quiet hour for communion with our own hearts, with nature and with God. We must individually hear him speaking to the heart when every other voice is hushed, and in the quietness we wait before him. The silence of the soul makes more distinct the voice of God. He bids us, be still and know that I am God. This is the effectual preparation for all labor for God. Amidst the hurrying throng and the strain of life's intense activities, he who is thus refreshed will be surrounded with an atmosphere of light and peace. He will receive a new endowment of both physical and mental strength, his life will breathe out a fragrance and will reveal a divine power that will reach men's hearts. Many, even in their seasons of devotion, fail of receiving the blessing of real communion with God. They are in too great haste. With hurried steps, they press through the circle of Christ's loving presence, pausing perhaps a moment within the sacred precincts, but not waiting for counsel. They have no time to remain with the divine teacher. With their burdens, they return to their work. These workers can never attain the highest success until they learn the secret of strength. They must give themselves time to think, to pray, to wait upon God for a renewal of physical, mental, and spiritual power. They need the uplifting influence of his spirit. Receiving this, they will be quickened by fresh life. 
just want to end with an experiment. Let's see if this works. Now, if I light this piece of paper on fire, you know what's going to happen. I might get in trouble in North Fisher, I might kick us out, right? <laughs> so if I light this on fire, you know what's going to happen. But the difference between being present with God and not being present with God is that putting God at the center of what we do gives us this foundation and the reality is we all face we all face trials, we all face difficult times. But when you put something fragile around something like glass, which is solid, and then you light it on fire. It just doesn't it just doesn't burn up. And and I guess that's my point that you know Everybody gets burnt, but the difference is that you don't have to burn up. And I hope that as you connect with God, you can experience this in your life. May God bless you. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, I just want to lift this church and this community up to you in prayer. Um, Father, you know what's going on in our hearts, and I just pray that you would call us away, give us those pockets of time where we can connect with you, commune with you, um, and to find restoration and strength. We pray these things in your name. Amen.